Welcome back to the show, everybody. My name is Oliver, and I am your storyteller here. In this episode, we'll be taking a look at the final events from Gluttony, which, since I've started writing, I have now renamed it to Azteconia. I tried coming up with something more festive, but Azteconia was kind of the best I could come up with. So, with that said, I hope you enjoy, because I've got way more to talk about, including Goldhelm, which was previously Envy. Anyways, sit back, relax, grab a snack, maybe turn on some fun music, because this is going to be a good one. Jack sat up, completely recovered, and drenched in water. He immediately jumped out of the pool and looked all around him. The forest was alive with fireflies in the trees and stars in the sky. He shook himself awake and recalled what his dad had told him. Live live hard, and I'll see you soon. But when he looked down at his gloves, they were different. Instead of stained leather like normal, with bullet marks and scratches, his gloves and boots were marble white with golden decorations, like wings on the spurs. A gift from heaven, huh? Jack looked up and smiled, a look of courage in his eyes. Thanks, Dad. I'll see you soon. Not just you and the whole family. And that's a promise. Far away in the jungle temple, the mines still roared to life, with the Nadajek operating through the night. They usually operated these routes when no one else could. After all, they were the ones responsible for secretly supplying it, the salt crystals throughout Azteconia. Well, at least they appeared to be the Nadajek. You see, there's one last detail I forgot to mention. The Nadajek have more of a triangular detail when it comes to their designs, their weapons, and most distinguishably, their masks. These strange creatures, however, wore circular, more spherical masks. These were the Mohoa. The Mohoa operated under the guise of the Nadajek for fear that someone would discover their aggression. The Mohoa were quite peaceful. They were not the ones who started the rumor, but rather the rumor of pacifist and aggression came from a natural balance. People automatically assumed that the Nadajek and the Mohoa, two ancient tribes older than Lucifer himself, would have some sort of resemblance to a yin and yang, a constant clash between light and dark. But the Mohoa were quite peaceful. They only desired to work in their salt mines and to provide salt for everybody in the rings of hell. The Nadajek leader was working as well. The Mohoa leader, sorry. But suddenly, as the natives worked to transport salt rocks, one cart was given something else. And this did not go unnoticed by the chief, who sat on his throne, still inspecting the claw marks and scratches from the withering bite's disappearance. He gave the order to halt, speaking in his own language, which I'll try to interpret just this once. Manasi. Manasi, Manasi! The machines stopped, and the chief walked over, inspecting the strange red scarf that lay on the salt rocks. The Mohawk chief picked it up and sniffed, giving him a sense of the owner's mark, but he smelled nothing. When all of a sudden the temple exploded, throwing debris and salt rocks everywhere. And from the wreckage, a red-gloved hand scooped up the tattered scarf and wrapped it around their neck. Diamond Jack 
with cuts and a dent on his fedora, loaded his rifle and stared at the elevator doors through the jungle, glowing with magic. Wake yourself up, pal. You got a job to finish and a payment to collect. Jack set his new pace, renewed with vigor and energy. He came across a crevice only to take a running start as his boots glowed with heavenly energy, launching him high across the ravine. He landed on the other side and continued to run, letting his boots build up energy. All right, Jack. Well, here we go. Jack jumped as high as he could, the energy built up in his boots, boosting him higher than even some of the mountains in Azteconia. He came to a stop at the village Navarre had met him in, and he ran faster, hurrying into a shop. But as he left the shop, coming out the other end, he looked into a mirror to see exactly what had changed about him. And to his surprise, his father's hunting gifts weren't the only things he had received. It looked like those strange Nadajek gods had blessed him with some kind of strange carving etching down his right sleeve. But when he rolled up his sleeve, Jack found that underneath all of the battle scars and wounds, those, the carving etched all the way down to the bone, glowing with pink, blue, gold, and green. Those must be the color palettes of both tribes. It's a shame I couldn't meet the Mohua, though at a better perspective, Jack thought, as he turned to face the jungle one last time. I suppose it's for the better that I didn't meet them. I think I've seen and experienced enough to distinguish the two. Jack then heard the elevator doors sliding open as a resounding ding echoed from the dark jungle. Jack turned to look one last time at what was, in his own right, possibly the very best option for shelter from Lucifer and his forces, if he couldn't make it to heaven. Farewell, Azteconia. The name needs work. Well, not really, but I'll see you again. Maybe. Jack took off running and bounced high into the air, getting a bird's eye view far, from far above the jungle. He spotted the elevator doors opening far away, and he instantly picked up speed, bounding through the trees like a ravenous wolf. I won't lose the shot. If I don't hit your, if I don't hit your rad, then there's no other way down to Golden Helm. He charged forward, bursting through the tree line, only about a few yards away from Azazel and his gang of bandits. Unfortunately, Jack forgot one key thing with Azazel. He had excellent years of hunting. He had excellent hearing from years of hunting in Rathneron. Rathneron sounds a little weird, but we'll get past it. Azazel threw the package to his guard and spun it, kicking Jack backwards and out of the elevator. Jack stood up and it readied himself for a fight as the charcoal black flaming skeleton stood before him, a knife tied to the end of his whip. Well, well, looky here. Guess you're back for round one, huh? Jack stood up and charged again, ducking and this time slamming his steel-toed boot into the prince's gut. Azazel's eye sockets lit up with casino signs, and he staggered backwards, clutching his chest and moaning in agony. <coughs> Why, you little... But Jack was already on his feet, attacking again and again, and for once, in all his years as a prince, more than 3,000, Azazel could not fight back. He simply took everything blow after blow, vision began to grow dim, and stars formed in his eyes. Jack finally subsided, drawing his gun, and Azazel reached for his whip. Enough of this! Let's finish you off, you blasted rodent! But when the whip snapped through the air, Jack grinned. <laughs> and you call yourself the Prince of Rathner? Where's your talent? The gloves wrapped around the whip, coursing angelic energy through the rope. Azazel cowered and then shrieked, letting go of his whip, which seared a mark onto his hand. The hunter's mark, Jack's father's symbol. What? What in the... How do you have those? Jack sprinted forward and threw a final punch, smacking the skeleton usurper backward into the elevator. <laughs> that was a real nice one. 
But this isn't that classical storyline. The guards immediately rushed in, fighting against the renewed Sin Hunter. Jack blasted a hole through one's helmet and flipped his boots around the second guard's neck, throwing them to the ground. Jack then stood up and quickly ran to untie Dr. Cynthia. But when he did, a strange figure leapt from the ceiling and landed between the two. And this person is a far worse character than, Je- than Dr. Cynthia or Jack, or even lives for himself, which is to say something. Who was he? Well, let me just give you a hint. He's got less self-control about his transformations than Cynthia. That's right, you remember him. Now, my friends call me Bubsy, the striped green-suited figure said. Two dragon wings emerged from his back, and his fingers became coiling cobras. But you can call me Beelzebub, Prince of Greed, sucker! The Prince of Greed punted Jack out of the elevator and scooped the scientist up over his shoulder. Sorry for the terrible timing, pal, but that's what we call but that's what we in the trade call business. Adios, amigo. He says amigo here, but he actually says something I can't pronounce due to demonetization. I mean, this is hell. What did you expect was going to happen? The elevator, with Azazel, the three guards, and Beelzebub slammed shut, and the elevator slowly went down. But Jack wasn't done yet. He looked up, seeing the elevator built into a rough mountainside. He blasted away the rocks at the tip with his gun and found a golden tunnel the elevator was part of. It was hidden from sight like a diamond in the rough. Fitting, considering where this story is going next. Jack wriggled through a small spot, just barely cramming himself through the shaft. He fell through the golden pipe and watched as his boots gave way to golden wings on his buckles. He hit the shaft without so much as a peep, and he grabbed on to avoid making any more trouble for himself. Mission, free Dr. Cynthia and claim innocence. Then, as Jack checked his watch, he realized something. It was December 30th. He had missed Christmas, which was the real shame of this story. But tomorrow was the cleanse. Jack instantly developed a plot, thinking back to everything that had happened before and how he got his primary weapons. The withering bite was also strapped to his back now. Jack tucked his fedora down and grinned his sin hunter's grin. Time to do the job his name stated, free his partner, and escape the fiery clicks of hell. Alright, hell. Game on, Jack said, loading his pistols with a red heart, red hot courage. Part 3 in the finale, Goldhelm. Now, as you might assume, Goldhelm, or as Vivzy Pop would represent it, Envy, is the smallest of the rings in hell. So you may think it's the runt of the pack, yeah? Well, what if I told you that in addition to changing its name to Goldhelm, I also flipped that script? You see, hell has what, the under, what is the underworld's equivalent of the sun. And unbeknownst to many, save for Goldenhelm, the sun produces mass amounts of glittering minerals and materials. Heck, almost all the metal and valuables in hell come from Goldhelm. The folks there are so incredibly rich, they construct their homes from stone, brick, and mortar, and then, I kid you not, they slather their homes in melted gold and embed diamonds, rubies, and emeralds in their walls. Yeah, the people of Goldhelm live quite the lavish, frivolous lives. So there you have it. Goldhelm, or Envy, has its name because the people envy them, not vice versa. And the inhabitants of Envy are just as, if not more, luxurious. Their style of clothing is a smooth, silken texture, lined and adorned with patterns of gold and studded with topaz and amber. You could swap the amber with anything else, but topaz was pretty much a key essential. The true royalty of hell itself, however, lies within knights. There are seven breeds of knights, each one ranked in social hierarchy, respectively. There are iron knights, the foot soldiers and shipment movers of the grand scheme. Then ruby knights, scholars and mages in their own right. The Ruby Knights are more guards of libraries and magicians, as you know. 
Silver and Diamond are roughly the same, both being guards in the Prince's Palace. Diamond has a few things over Silver, but Silver is more meant for combat and training for royalty. Platinum are the treasurers in council, and there are very few Platinum Knights, only I believe about 10 in comparison to everybody else. So the role is incredibly valuable if you're elected to be a Platinum Knight. Emerald is the second highest, being the royal family's private guard and the protector of the mines beneath the kingdom. But finally, the grand monarch of this fantastic society is the Golden Knight. No one knows his true name, although members of Hell can confirm that the Golden Knight is male. That's about as far as they've gotten. He emerged like many of Hell's overlords, but began as an explorer, conquering the Ring of Goldhelm for himself. Population grew, and Lucifer became so impressed with this common demon becoming that he elected the Golden Knight as prince on the spot. There was not a question he could not answer, nor a fight he could not not a fight he could lose. He was skilled with any form of weapon, be it whip, saber, lance, or mace. He would defeat you mercilessly in the arena. And that's where we're going to leave things off. So, what all did we talk about this episode? Well, I decided to change the names of everything. Not sure what Sloth's rename is going to be, but we'll figure that out along the road. I have yet to talk with my friend Audrey, as she's currently... Busy with schoolwork at the moment, but uh, for now, I hope you enjoyed this episode. So please tell me, what do you think of this? Honestly, I could care less if any of you want to actually subscribe or keep notifications on. I I really don't care about that, okay? I'm not going to be like any of those snotty YouTubers who do it only for the views or any podcasters. All I ask is that, you know, maybe leave a helpful tip, some fun feedback every now and then. I'd appreciate that. With that said, thanks for listening in.